After this, I'm packing. Woo! Where are you going? I'm going to Raleigh tomorrow, and then I have oh. Thanksgiving, and then I drive to New York, and then we drive back on Saturday, and I fly to Miami on Sunday. It's going to be a big week. Okay, is that better? Uh, I don't know. You were just breaking up when you were talking about New York and stuff. But yeah, it seems better now. I think you're fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems smooth. Okay, so what's going on with you? Do you just want to... Is that is that how we're starting? <laughs> we can. It okay. doesn't matter. I just want to start. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, yeah, let's go. Uh, to start out today, I did have some follow-up I wanted to go over. Okay. There are just a number of things from the previous episodes and feedback that I wanted to mention. So, in going through the edits of the previous episode, we had this whole long conversation about mind maps. And obviously, one of the big things that you were talking about that was great about mind maps is their visual quality and how they... <laughs> Put information right in front of your eyes so that you could see it beautifully. But nobody and could see it. <laughs> no, no, no one could. And I was very aware when I was editing. You were like, things are over here, and then things are over here, and then they're connected <laughs> like this. And I was just like, hmm, this would go really well with some, with some diagramming that we cannot do in an audio format. So, yeah, just. So next time know, I'm pa- going to be like, there's a circle in the middle, and there's a little bit of text, and then there's four lines off of different sides of that middle circle. Yeah, precise description may may help with this sort of thing. Um, we might okay. put up in the show notes some sort of example of what we're talking about, but uh, yeah, no, I just I found it kind of entertaining, just thinking about how people would be trying to deal with the not being able to see what we were talking about. <laughs> I also wanted to mention, and I know I've probably mentioned this before, but I always find it kind of entertaining some of the ticks that we have when we're talking about these things i know we've talked about being very aware of how we sound and the way we talk in our recordings but i definitely noticed that you say and i'm not sure if i've edited this out of a lot of the recordings because it's possible that i actually found it weird so i removed it a little bit but you say overall a lot just so much everything is overall every description is <laughs> overall i'm talking about this it was very entertaining to me and i said distinct a whole lot i said i always seem to say i would say every third sentence because i don't want to say that someone else is saying it i guess but um yeah so those are just a couple things about our previous episodes that i thought i should follow up on okay things to work on yeah exactly you you had a correction on the whole bread thing right because i was talking about all the yeast and beer and everything oh um there's my um there's my tick (laughs) yeah good stuff right the bread that we make does not have any commercial yeast it's just flour salt and water and so yeah okay. that was what i think we we're talking about so does that apply i was just wondering about this because i didn't understand this at all does that apply to all sourdough you don't add yeast to sourdough because i guess that's the whole thing with the starter that you just add stuff and it grows right that is the biggest part of the starter is that you let the microbial community do their thing with the bits that you already have and then that makes the starter and then you let it naturally leave in and rise and from there you go through the rest of the process that's pretty normal to baking but that microbial community aspect is what's so different than commercial yeast which allows it to rise way quicker than a typical sourdough bread so there still is yeast it's just not commercial yeast yeah yeah like you're just adding flour salt and water and then Everything is done based on where you leave it and what organisms decide to enter it and give it its properties. So yeah, that is the yeast, but it's not called yeast because it's not the commercial. Like it doesn't rise fast the way you would have with a bread that you could bake in like. Okay, sure. Yeah, you need to just leave it out for breeding the yeast in the same way that you would. 
otherwise. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So I guess no, I should sense. say it doesn't have commercial yeast. Okay, sure. Because I was I was very confused about this because obviously I know nothing about bread, so I'm just <laughs> I'm just looking at it and saying to myself, okay, sure, it doesn't have yeast. That makes sense. Why not? We also should follow up a little bit on our challenges from last time. You were supposed to write some articles. Did you get your articles done? I did. Yes. Right. I was. I think I was supposed to get three articles completely edited and i had already drafted them so yeah i have three yeah, articles yeah. complete so that is good awesome you want to give us any teasers on what topics you're talking about or anything like that you haven't let me read any of this stuff <laughs> the topics i'm talking about are for my website which is straight from the sources mouth.co and i okay. am writing a lot about transparency in supply chain so some of the articles i'm writing right now are the certification process for non-gmo labeling and organic labeling and right. just what the difference is with all these labels in general that all contribute to what transparency is so most of sure. my articles right now are more research intensive and about what these things mean when we're looking at a label and allowing the consumer to understand where their food's coming from, how it's sourced, all of that. Exactly, and how much okay. they should really be paying for it, or if they're getting like greenwashed and duped by the labels. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have always generally ignored all of that stuff. Most of it, I just kind of think it's marketing. You know what I mean? Because a lot of yeah. these things are not very well controlled. But I don't understand it well enough to really get into it. So yeah, I'll be curious to read it whenever you finally let me into some of that stuff. <laughs> okay what about your short how'd that go yeah so i got very distracted recently the last week so i did not complete it in the way that i like okay so it's it is completed as it is it, it does exist like you can watch it it's about a minute long but it's not done in the way that i want it to be done at all and so i'm mm redoing it i guess or continuing to work on it because it's it's not where it's not what i wanted it to be it needs the next evolution of it yes i still need to work on it essentially that's, yeah. what, that's what i'm trying to say it's yeah. it's not good yeah but you know put in some work on it it'll keep moving forward i expect by the end of the year i will be in a much better spot in terms of writing scripts and animating them effectively and putting them out there actually into the world so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still pretty happy about it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times with these things, I think someone told me this quote the other day, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress or something like that. Something to those to that vein. Right, don't let perfect be the enemy of good or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, very similar to that, but yeah. it's true. You kind of have to eventually just let it happen. Let yeah, it and like we talked about world. last time, my whole thing with it is not really the short that I'm producing, it's figuring out how to do these things quickly, easily, and well. And so yeah. that's what I'm working on learning anyway. So, you know, I'm, I'm working yeah. my way through it. Yeah. Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about how we go about structuring our lives. Right. So obviously, both of us have dealt with moving to different countries, taking on a lot of different kinds of jobs, really choosing where we're living, how we're living, the kind of lifestyle that we're leading. And so I just wanted to get a sense for you how you make those decisions or how you think about all of those things. Because most of the time when I talk to people, like, for instance, one of the guys that I met here in Ireland, he kind of runs golf courses. So he does all of the maintenance of the lawns and maintains everything and sculpts all of that sort of stuff. And I don't know exactly what he does, but he deals with sprinklers and grass and <laughs> things like that. Okay. So anyway, he worked a year in the US, in like the Midwest somewhere on a golf course. And he worked, I think, a year in New Zealand doing a similar thing. And when I asked him 
like why he moved back or how he thought about did he ever want to live there long term or anything like that it was almost like it had never occurred to him it was like he did it naturally just like yeah this is just a thing i did i was gonna go do it for a year and then i did it for a year and he never really thought about well should i want to stay here why would i want to stay here how long should i stay here would i want to settle here why would i want to settle here what different places in the U.S. or in New Zealand or in the rest of the world would I want to live? Why would I want to live there? And when I talk to so many people back home, it's like, well, yeah, I live here in L.A. Everybody else wants to move to L.A. Why would I ever leave L.A.? And they just never think beyond that. And they never yeah. think beyond the kind of But that first path. one is like a free spirit almost. And I have a lot of friends who are like that too. They'll just move somewhere. And I ask them, why'd you move there? And they said, I was ready to move. So I picked a destination and I just moved because it seemed like a cool place and I wanted to leave this place. And I'm all for moving. Sure. But sometimes yeah. it's just funny because I think so heavily about my move before I go that it's almost right. it's almost probably too much. Like I sometimes wish I had a little bit more of that free spirit too. It can of, be debilitating. To, like the yeah. quote you mentioned earlier about perfect versus progress right yeah. when you have to have perfect knowledge and make the perfect move it just stops you from doing anything right or it can not that it does in your case because you actually do pick up and go but it's a very calculated decision very methodical yeah. i think that's on both of our parts no absolutely. we do make moves but it does take a while people probably don't realize that we were thinking about this for i don't know how long but for me normally right. six months years. before i'm thinking and then years for some of them just depends right well and i i've been thinking about these things for a long long time like i studied in france in 2011 2012 when i went traveling after that year of studying there the whole purpose of traveling i mean yeah i guess i kind of wanted to travel and see some things but the whole purpose was to kind of flush out different cities in europe and see if i would want to live in any of them it wasn't oh i just want to go see rome it was i want to spend some time in rome see if i would want to live in rome newsflash it's too hot no but that was my whole thinking and after traveling a lot of places living a lot of places like that was my process of figuring out what matters in a place that you live and yeah, I think it, it's always bizarre to me, the fact that a lot of people don't think about it. Like, I guess I just don't understand people's decision-making. Because the same thing baffles me in terms of how people choose their careers and choose the kind of work they do. So many people simply do what their parents did, or they do whatever was kind of interesting in high school. Mm -hmm. That just seems like a crazy way to actually live your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. But honestly, I did that up until maybe... I want to say that after college, <laughs> oh my god, sorry, uh, for the people who can't see this visual, great. I'm having, I have a puppy we're fostering and the dog that is my roommate, and they both just came in my face and really wanted some love right at that moment when I was trying to formulate my, my answer to that. That's a good okay. way to focus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might hear some dog noises in the back. Let's just keep moving. <laughs> I think we're used to that at this point. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> you get just with dogs. That's part of it now. Ask me that question one more time, please. It was about how you think about choosing to move to another place. You were saying that you, up until uh, college, yes. had just not really thought about it in the same way that a lot of people don't think about it. Right. I mean, when I was going to college in deciding which university to attend I definitely was thinking about it and I knew I wanted to leave the state but it wasn't until mm. college was coming closer to an end when I knew that I actually was going to have freedom to live wherever I wanted that I was thinking about it big time and I was sure. thinking about like I want to be somewhere where I can 
do more walking all the time and somewhere where people are more environmentally minded and somewhere where there's just more nature and people are more open-minded. And this is also coming yeah. from North Carolina where there's not as much diversity. And so I wanted sure, to just be somewhere where there was a lot of different things. And I think at that point, that might not have all been in my criteria, but at least getting out of the state was the biggest criteria I had at that point. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. Well, and I think a lot of people going to college have that mentality that it's just, I want to get away from home. Mm -hmm. But even for me, before I moved to France, I never really thought about this seriously because I think you need that experience not just away from home, but in a very different place mm -hmm. to make you question, well, why do I live where I live? Why do I do the things the way I do the things that I do? And for me, that really became valuable because when I moved back from France, I had to think about, well, do I want to stay here in LA now or do I want to go back to France or do I want to go somewhere else? And I think opening up your eyes to the possibilities makes it easier for you to think about the possibilities, I guess. And being somewhere different, like you were saying, like being in France makes you think about, could I live in Europe? And the same for when I was living in Australia during my study abroad. I was thinking, could I live in Australia? And I loved so much about right. it. But I also thought, this is really far away for me sure, being in yeah. college. That really is way far away, yeah. Well, and, and you know the other thing, like that being away like that pushes upon you and i know you didn't move back home afterward but i moved back to my hometown right and granted it's los angeles so it's not like some tiny little put on nothing town but when i moved home it made me very aware that i wasn't happy where i was living and i think that's the first step with any of these sorts of things in terms of kind of trying to structure your life intentionally right mm -hmm. the first step is to see oh i'm not super happy with where i am and what's going on in my life because you know if you're just blissfully happy why would you even bother thinking about these sorts of things if everything is perfect there's no reason to challenge it and check it and see what's going on and that's actually one of the reasons why i think a lot of people who kind of live i don't want to say blessed lives but just have everything easy all the time they don't push themselves at all because why would you there's no reason to change or challenge yourself. And that's why I think the children of immigrants are often so driven and so successful. It's because they grew up in an environment where their parents had to strive, they had to face adversity. And growing up in that sort of environment where you're constantly faced with adversity, you're constantly faced with complicated, difficult things, makes it easy for you to deal with challenges. It makes it easy for you to push yourself throughout your life and gives you that motivation that you don't have if everything was just easy the whole time. Right. And so I think for me, coming back from France, and recognizing that I did not love living in Los Angeles really made me take a very close look at every aspect of my life, in particular where I was living, but also the kind of work I wanted to do, the kind of people I wanted to associate with, the kind of hobbies I wanted to have, how I wanted to spend my time. Do I want to just be a surfer guy that hangs out at bonfires and doesn't do anything? Or did I want to be somebody who knew things and read and studied and developed myself? You know, like th yeah. these are all options that lay before you. And if you don't think about them, you just kind of follow the path that you happen to be on. But when you realize that you're not happy, you can really look at it and try to reshape the direction that you're heading. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something also when you're talking about someone who has had it not easy, but has had a very similar progression of their life from when they were younger to maybe currently. They're still living in the same place kind of thing. Yeah, I think if you don't hit a wall of sorts, you know, if you don't face right. something that really forces you to question things, whether it's a difficulty or it's just a major 
change. If you don't ever face anything like that, it's really easy to just let the current carry you downstream. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of my friends who still live where they grew up are very, very content with everything going on. And I think that just also comes from, like you were saying, they haven't hit that wall and they have no desire to like they're just very happy with everything going on currently yeah it's kind of distracting right now there's a dog fight going on right next to me can you not kick them out of your room or whatever room you're in yeah hold on one second okay okay ladies come here i've realized i never want animals really yes yes that's been a really strong realization Oh, I could not disagree more. I could see why you wouldn't, but yeah, I I love dogs. I mean, yeah, I love dogs too, but maybe it is just this phase in my life, but I do not want the responsibility of animals right now because it's always, maybe it's also just the hectic place I live in. Yeah, (laughs) there's just a lot going on, but. I try, you know, you come home and you're trying to work on things and there's always like no one's home yet. And so the dogs need to get walked. And it's, it's more of a, I never know when I'm going to need to take care of them. I haven't taken on this responsibility. It just kind of hits me and I need to set back everything to do this. And I end up resenting animals (laughs) Sure. (laughs) because I want to be with them, but I just, yeah. So, you need now. to be able to build them into your life, and if they just randomly are causing you problems, that's less than ideal. Yeah, and right now I'm not I'm not in a point where I want any extra responsibility besides what I'm choosing. And my t- lifestyle, as we're talking about structuring your life, I really want a lifestyle that allows me to not travel all the time, but be mobile and be living in different places for at least the next while. So what does the next uh, while mean? Like, does that mean the next week, next five no, years? That next... means ne- next five, next, maybe even 10, depending on how things go Okay. with career prospects and housing and things like that. Yeah, I will say that that is probably the biggest reason that I've not gotten a dog in the last three, four, five years. You're not, you're in different countries? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think people understand how expensive and difficult it is to move dogs between countries. Just to move yourself is this massive thing. Thinking about moving anything else besides myself and maybe a significant other. like If I was trying to bring a dog from like China to Europe, that would be more expensive than getting myself there. You know what I mean? Like It would be more expensive than buying an airplane ticket because you have to get it through customs. You have to get it through all of these different checks for diseases and through shots and through a whole bunch of stuff. And then maybe they don't let them in. I've read about a number of cases where they just hold your dog in limbo because it didn't get through customs and all this. Like it's it, No, yeah. I'm not dealing with that sort of process. If you want the kind of lifestyle that I am very much gearing myself towards, then a dog, at least for quite a long time, is just out. Well, and also, I don't like small dogs particularly, and I have not lived and don't expect in the near future I will live in a place that I feel is large enough to be suitable to a large dog. Okay, so we were on where to live. (laughs) Right, right. So when we're talking about structuring your life intentionally, obviously the first step with this whole thing, in my mind, the first thing that I came to was choosing where to live and figuring out where you live where to live and where you want to live and what you value in a place that you live and that goes all the way from the lowest level of do you want to live in a city do you want to live in the countryside 
to mm-hmm. what country would you want to live in? Would you want to live in an apartment or a house? Do you want to be at the top of a skyscraper or on the first floor? Like all of those sorts of things are the kinds of things that you have to think about. Well, you don't have to think about, but the things that I think about and debate with myself, a small thing that I think about probably far too often. I grew up in California. We have earthquakes all the time. So I've never wanted to live really high in a building. But after living in France and in Korea, like Korea, everybody lives in a 30-story skyscraper because that's just how people roll out there. I think the government subsidized the construction of all these massive skyscrapers. And so you go to these small towns with 10,000 people and they've got a 30-story building in the middle of it and that's just where the entire town lives. It's, it's a very strange thing. But it got me to the point where, and especially after talking to so many people that live at the top of skyscrapers and have great views and they have like pools in their big apartment buildings and they have nice gyms in their big apartment buildings and I'm like well maybe maybe it would be nice to live at the top of a building so I've started to have to check myself with this whole thing because I've always wanted to live closest to the bottom floor because if the power goes out if, if anything happens being at the top you've is always not wanted great. to live in an apartment no I've always wanted to live on the first floor if I was going to live in an apartment I would want to live on the first or second floor the first floor is not always great because if people are walking by they're like at your level but I've never wanted to live high up because Oh. It just seems like if anything bad happens, that's not where you want to be. Maybe in a flood, well, that's see, where you want to be. But Yeah, you have a very different perspective from the west coast of the U.S. than I have from the east coast of the U.S. Because I'm currently in Miami, and if you're on the first floor, hurricane season, you're just screwed. Well, sure. But, like, that's one kind of thing. This, this is my whole point. Like, floods are not great for the first floor, obviously. But being on the top floor is worse in almost every other way. If there's a fire, if there's an earthquake, if there's a power outage of any sort, you don't want to be on the 25th floor when there's a power outage. That's yeah, not true. an ideal situation, right? And so, yeah, that, that's, what, that's just what I'm saying. I, like, I agree that being on the first floor is not great because burglary is more likely is not great because of a lot of other reasons. But, I mean, this is all kind of beside the point. I think the point is that these are the kinds of things that I've started thinking about. And that's where I started with the whole structuring, right? Or trying to restructure my life or make certain decisions about the direction I wanted to go in. And obviously, I didn't control these things all the time. Like when we moved to Korea, we were given an apartment. I just was given my apartment and I had no choice over what my apartment was. So if it was on the 20th floor, it was going to be on the 20th floor then I wasn't going to be able to say no. But it it allows you to make decisions when you come to decisions. And just to talk about my progression and my thinking about these things, the first thing, like I said, was choosing where to live and how to decide on your home space. The second thing was choosing how to spend your free time. Back in 2014, we've talked about before, I started trying to be productive, trying to put my focus into personal development and pushing myself forward and all that. Mm -hmm. And that changes your whole trajectory with all of that. The third thing for me was deciding on my social circles and trying to figure out, well, Mm -hmm. if if I've decided on things like my free time and how I'm going to spend my free time in these activities, uh, like language learning and reading and trying to I was playing volleyball every Sunday to try to stay active and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. It reinforces that if you find the right people to associate with and the right people to hang out with that reinforce you and push you in the direction that you already want to be moving in. So I started trying to reshape that. And then for some reason, I didn't think about this until after all of this, but in trying to re-figure out what career you want and how you spend your working time. At the time, for some reason, I was just kind of on autopilot and was not really trying to break that down. I think it's because that, that's a much harder thing. that You can't do that incrementally. And in the same way with living, like you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to move out of the country in a small way. You can change one friend. You can change one hobby. You can't change where you're living or what you're doing for work. But all yeah. of these things tie together in terms of shaping the structure of your life. And I think everybody walks into them piecemeal 
and everyone start thinks about them in in small ways at the edges but not very many people really take them all on as a mass and try to figure out not just who do I want to be but what do I want my life to be what yeah. would I enjoy you know oh yeah and so to go to how my progression went was pretty yeah. much from college I knew or I thought I knew the career I wanted to be in so I focused mostly on that and said I want to be out of the state and I want to be working in energy efficiency and so I took that on but then I got to DC and I was living in this house and had roommates who after a while I realized we're not the social circle I wanted to be associating with all the time yeah. so at the end of the year you don't always realize those things right away yeah you don't, especially when you move to a new place and you're out of your comfort zone. You tend to just go with whoever's around you because it's much you latch easier on first, sure. and yeah. it's more comfortable. And I was also out in the suburbs and having to drive all the time. And so I after that, a yeah. year, I realized, wow, I'm like miserable here. What am I doing? Right. And I moved and I thought through this the whole time. Okay, what will make me happier? I said, let's try moving right into the city. We can walk all the time. We're going to find a place that has pretty solid roommates and a very diverse group of roommates. That way we have a little bit of everything. And that helped so much. That made DC. But then after that, I realized the career still needed something. So going to Korea was the step in really starting to evaluate all those three things you talked about, like where you live, who you associate with, how you spend your time. And yeah. Korea was the start of me deciding every time I make a decision, I evaluate everything now. Like yeah. we were saying, probably too much, but that's okay because it's serving me pretty well so far. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like I know a lot of people like to focus on the idea of over overthinking things as paralyzing you. I, I don't think that that's actually an issue in, in most cases. But since you brought up a little bit about the job you're working in DC and everything, I did want to bring up something that I always find odd when I talk to people, especially young people, about what they're going to do for work. I think people are too focused. Like you talked about in college, you thought you knew what you wanted to do for your career, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you come to that conclusion? Or like, why did you think you wanted to do that? A big part of it, I think, was that I hadn't shifted this mold in my mind of you have this career. It's just this linear career that you have. And now okay. I'm very aware that, especially in the millennial generation, there's not really a linear career. We have many... Or at least it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, right. But I was yeah, thinking that sure. way. And so I thought, okay, well, I was out of utility and I was really enjoying the energy efficiency side of things. And I just thought, well, that seems like a good career path. Once sure. I realized yeah. I don't have to have a path, I can have a zigzag that's still going forward and upwards instead of necessarily one path. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. You're absolutely right. Like your, your career can zigzag much more than I had originally anticipated as well. But the thing that I wanted to point out that it was why I was asking you is because, obviously, I think you've come to that conclusion through actually going through the working world, and I think a lot of people do realize that much more once they get into work. But something that even people that have worked for a while, they just seem to ignore the idea that what you do for work in your actual life matters much less than what work requires you to do. Let me explain that with an example. So, if you're a teacher, and you work in public school, one of the aspects of your job is that you get a huge amount of vacation. So if you think about that in the negative fashion or the the opposite fashion, right? If you work in another job, one of that the things that that requires you to do is work during the summer. 
So that's something that your job requires you to do. There are certain jobs where you are required to work overtime. There are certain jobs where you have a long commute, or you have to deal with customers, or you have to do a lot of paperwork, right? I think when people are thinking about what they want to do for their career, they think way too much about, oh, is that an interesting topic, or is that an interesting area? And they don't think enough about the attributes of a job, and what things that you have to do in this job do you like? And what things in this job fit with what you want? High income? Sure, that's great. A lot of vacation? Sure, that's great. Not a bad commute? That's great. Not exhausting? Or maybe there's a little bit of physical activity that keeps you fit? Like like thinking about those sorts of things, maybe it introduces you to other people that are interesting. Those sorts of things are the way that you should be thinking about whether or not you want to have a job, not is it an interesting subject to study archaeology. That doesn't matter if archaeology is interesting, because once you're in the job, what matters is the people you're around and the things you have to do. And if for archaeology you have to go into Botswana every year, well, maybe you don't want to go into Botswana every year because it's not necessarily a great place to hang out all the time. So, like, I, I don't think people think about the jobs in that way enough, right? Like, when I talk to teachers, and I talk to teachers yeah. a whole lot, they always talk about having a passion for teaching and wanting to... And, give knowledge to kids and things like that. And, and that might be very well and good and what they want to actually do. But when you think about whether or not you want to be a teacher, what you need to be thinking about is what are the positives? The positives are not, oh, I get to inform children about things. The positives are I get to have summers off. I get to get off a little bit earlier. I get to control how I spend a lot of my time working after like 3 p.m. And I'm in a situation where I can really shape and control my environment. The downside is that you have, you know, 30 crazy tiny humans that you have to manage and monitor and all of that, right? Like, that is not a good thing about the job. That is a difficult thing about the job. And, you know, another downside is that you can't very easily move between countries and things like that. There's not a lot of growth potential in your pay. Like, there are, there, there are a lot of ways to think about these things. But just thinking about, oh, I became a dentist because I think it's a really interesting, prestigious profession. Like, that's that seems crazy to me now. Whereas when I was coming out of school, that was very much how I thought. I was like, I should go into finance because that's a thing where you make good money and you yeah. are relatively respected. Like, sure, why not? Yeah. But Mine I, was more of along the lines of the, the teacher. I was I felt passionate about energy efficiency and I knew I wanted to work in marketing and I wanted to be working with people but then the reality of the job was that I was working with people but not quite as much as I liked there was a lot of the majority of the time behind a computer screen and yeah. so those kind of things that you were talking about distinguishing them I love that I got to travel with the job I love that I got to meet people all the time and be interfacing with a client but I was constantly doing everything for a client and that meant a lot of hours outside of a 40-hour work week yeah, and round the clock all the time that I just didn't think was going to take as much of a toll as it did. And by the end, I was going, wow, teaching English and having time to work on me sounds fantastic. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I don't think people appreciate enough time value of money, right? Or the mm -hmm. value of their time in terms of money. Because you look at somebody that's making a hundred grand and they work 70-hour weeks, well, that's a significant cost. And if you can make 40 grand and work 30-hour weeks, well, that's a much better situation as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. So I think when we're thinking about careers, that is an important aspect of it that I think gets ignored far too often. To just go back to living real quick and thinking mm -hmm. about where you're living, what are the most important things to you in like a city 
an apartment, a neighborhood? What are the things in terms of choosing where and how you're living that matter most to you? Top of your list. Before moving to Miami, I would have said somewhere I could walk, but now it's more of somewhere where I can consistently be active. So that could be consistency in terms of the climate, like Miami, pretty year round, I feel comfortable at some point, whether that's five in the morning or whether that's in the middle of the day, I can go work out or go be active. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and I'm also comparing that to in DC, I would walk everywhere, but then it would get so cold that I didn't really want to walk anymore. I can understand that. So those were the two. Being able to be active is a big part of it. Another part is having diverse food, culture, people around me just enough perspective that you don't have you just don't have all one side you just have people who want to push each other and kind of debate things and elevate each other yeah i agree diversity is a pretty big one for me you know it's interesting that you bring up the physical activity thing because that's one of the reasons why i left la you just drive everywhere and i am not driven enough to even though you can be physically active because it's warm enough and comfortable enough like i'm not driven enough to force myself to do that after a busy day trying to do everything else I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I started to focus on a lot when I moved out of, out of there is trying to make things automatic in my life. So we talked mm-hmm. last week a little bit about when you have side projects and things, trying to integrate them into other things that you want to do, right? Like we talked about studying Spanish, and if you have some friends who speak Spanish, maintaining your relationships in the language allows you to maintain your relationships and practice the language. So right. when I think about choosing a place to live, I think about how to make as many of those things kind of automatic as possible. So like you had mentioned about physical activity, I want to make sure that I walk a lot. Mm -hmm. So one of the keys to me in a place that I live, as you had kind of referenced right at the beginning, is that I can walk places easily. I can walk to a large percentage of the places that I want to go in a given week from my apartment so that I don't have to drive places. Because if I get to the point where I drive a certain amount, then I'll just drive all the time because that becomes your go-to mode of transport. Right. And even the activities you do, right? Like on the weekends, the same thing. If you can walk there or if you can be doing an activity where you can hike or you can be swimming or something. Yeah, well, and even here, like it gets really cold here. It gets really wet. It's not great in the winter, very short days. In terms of weather, you don't necessarily want to be outside and be active a lot. But it's the kind of thing where you still will be active if everything that you do kind of requires you to be active. And and it's the same way Mm -hmm. socially for me. If I want to be social, I want to have it so that it's easy to be social. So it's easy Mm -hmm. to go out and do the things that I want to do. Because to me, removing the barriers to the things that I want to do is how you get yourself to do the things you want to do. Right. Like if you live in a suburb and it becomes really easy to just hang around the apartment and watch tv all day every day well then that's what you end up doing if you live in the middle of the city and everybody's always out and people you know are always two doors down well then you're like yeah i'll go out and do things with them because they're here and i can do stuff easily i don't have to go get into my car and drive 30 minutes and then i can't actually drink or anything because i have to drive home i can just be a part of it very easily. Yeah. I remember talking to you when I was making this decision of coming back to the U.S. And we talked about what are the pros of L.A. and the cons of L.A. What about Raleigh and what about Miami? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I ended up choosing Miami because what you said about L.A. earlier with the driving everywhere, that was a big concern that the city's just so spread out. And yes, I know I moved to Miami, so it's not that much better. But it is better. It also just has a very, a very different climate. And I knew that I would be able to be active 
active. And then I chose in this job that I chose, I'm in an area of Miami where you can just leave my car in the lot and then walk all over the district. So after work in DC, I got off and I was really close to all the main things in DC and I could just walk everywhere. And it was like, wow, all right, I'm just going to go meet a friend here. I'm not going to go home. That makes no sense. And now it's the same. I'll pack like lunch and dinner sometimes because I want to go out and not have to come home. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, that's what I did when I lived in Paris. I didn't exactly live in the heart of the city, but it was the kind of thing when I leave my house in the morning, I'm not coming back until I'm going to bed because I'll be in the city and I'll just have things to do all day. And you did that in China right a lot too. Right. I did that in China all the time. Exactly. When I left in the morning, I was not coming back until I went to sleep. That's That was just my go-to because if you live in a place where a lot of things are kind of concentrated and you walk around, even if you don't live right next to where everything you want to do is, you can just spend the day out there and that's just as good. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, that's a good call. I will say that I I know Miami doesn't have a great reputation in terms of being walkable either compared to L.A., but I think there is a really significant difference. L.A. is massive. Like, it it is enormous. And it's also really expensive. And so for a much more reasonable price, you can get close-ish to the city in Miami as opposed to LA where even if you pay a lot of money you're going to be way out and there's going to be a lot of traffic so like there are a lot of things discouraging you like i would always back so i worked in santa monica for a long time i would always get invited out to things out there and if i wasn't already out there because of work i wasn't going out there because that's an hour and change in traffic and then another hour that's and change a, back yeah that's what I realized about all my friends in LA and when my sister used to live there. She would always say, oh, let's meet up. And she would, I would be in Echo Park and she would be maybe closer to Santa Monica at the time. And to me, I'm thinking, yeah. we're both in LA, let's meet up. And it's like, right. no, we're not meeting up because it's far. No, not that mission. Yeah, like I had some of my really good friends lived up in the valley. And just like, I saw them less than I saw my friends in San Diego because that's that's a mission. I'm not going up there. Yeah, I think it is quite different. And also, there are a whole lot of areas in L.A. which are just not great to walk through. Not not even in terms of the neighborhood, but it's just hard to get across freeways and you're dr- walking across, like, you're walking next to four lanes of traffic and it's just loud and unpleasant and everything. Miami is a much more manageable place and it's nicer to walk around, I think. I mean, I haven't spent hardly any time there. But from what I understand of it, it's much nicer to walk around there than to walk around. And like you were saying earlier as well, when you talked about integrating what you want to do or what you're learning, what you're you're focused on. So kind of to my hobbies, one of the things I'm focused on right now is learning Spanish and then learning about food and more of the international development side of food as well. And just by being in Miami, like the import-export, the way that it's it's a a kind of... Yeah, and same with Spanish. You a lot of people are thinking yeah, about that Yeah, even though I don't speak Spanish to people, I hear it every single day. So I'm having yeah. to continuously work on it and get myself engulfed in that culture more. And it keeps your mind on it. Yeah, absolutely. Every day I'm going, man, I need to learn Spanish. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, and that's the great thing when we were talking about uh, d- deciding on who you associate with and deciding on your relationships based upon some of your interests and your goals and what you want to attain and who you want to be in five to ten years. Having people that are interested in or are working on some of the similar things that you are working on keeps it in your mind. Like one of the big things that directs your direction in life that made very little sense determines your direction in life is what you're thinking about and if you're around people and surrounded by things that you want you to be thinking about then it pushes you 
in the way that you want to be pushed. If you're surrounded by things that you don't want to be thinking about, you don't want to be dealing with, well, then you're being pulled in the wrong direction that you don't want to be going in. And right. so being surrounded by Spanish, if you want to learn Spanish and you're hearing it all the time, that's exactly what you want. Yeah. So I don't have any real conclusions from this whole idea, but it, it is something that I think about a lot because I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think intentionality is just a real key to success in life, to, to feeling good about where you are. Because when you decide on something and you really have thought about it and made the decision on it, it didn't just happen, but you made a decision, it gives you a lot more ownership and it, it allows you to feel in control and feel like you're living your life in the way that you want to be living your life. And many people that I know don't do that and... They don't feel hugely in control of their own lives. They feel like their manager dictates things, and their company dictates things, and the economy dictates things, and the government and politics dictates yeah. things, and they don't control a lot of things in their lives. And I, I don't really think that's accurate, and I don't think that that's a good mentality to have. And so I think trying to be aware and intentional with everything that you do in your life and how you structure it is one of the best ways to kind of return that locus of control inside and, and take it away yeah. from the rest of the world. Yeah, and especially with a job or anything like that. You don't want to be working towards something where you don't feel like you're fully committed. You want to make that decision yeah. and be able to really define your own success around it because yeah. you decided to go into this the same with you decided the city it's all within your control and right. once you kind of exactly. turn it into possibility and like the abundance rather than thinking everything's against you sure. it's amazing how much the control and everything comes back your whole feeling about everything changes yeah yeah it's not being put upon you it's absolutely true and i mean just just remembering the why of things you know mm -hmm. like if you're working in a job and you're complaining about it constantly like if you, if you're complaining about anything in your life constantly you've forgotten why you're doing it. Because if there's something in your life that is so bad that you have to complain about it all the time, and that's not to say that no one has bad things that's happened in their life. Like, if you get into a car accident or you have cancer, yeah, complain about cancer. You, you know, you can complain about the president if you don't like the president. I fully understand that. You're not actually in control of that. But the vast majority of things that are actually in your life that you're interacting with every day, you can choose over the course of you know two or three years to remove from your life. You maybe can't do it tomorrow if you have a crappy car you don't necessarily have money to buy a new car tomorrow but if you decide that that's really important over the course of the next two or three years you can make changes to remove the things that you're complaining about so if you're complaining about something all the time you have to remember why you're doing it and if you remember why you're doing it and it's important enough and valuable enough that you you actually want to keep doing it then you sh should stop complaining and if it's not then you should make the decisions to remove it from your life like th those are the yes, options but even to your example before of things you can control the president cancer even those things that are out of your control yeah there's always time to complain but then there's a point where well i can't do anything about these situations so what is the best next step forward or what is the positive what's the silver lining i could find sure, so yeah. that i can start moving forward because i find exactly. that 
This is a whole different subject that I won't get into, but I do find that happens a lot, especially with anything political is it's just this hole and you're in all these fields of all the stuff and you're stuck in this rabbit hole just because you're like thinking about how it's just out of your control and the circumstances and are horrible. And, and yeah. I'm like, what can we do about it then? Let's move forward. <laughs> there's always something that can be done. It might not completely correct whatever the issue is, but there's always something to be done. Yeah. No, I completely yeah. agree. I think that's the right way to think about things. Okay, so the second topic I was wanting to talk about that goes really well with structuring your life and determining what is valuable to you sure. came to me because of this past job decision and the progression I've had of kind of choosing what made the most sense for me and the kind of life I want. So this job, uh-huh. I was looking at either making a good amount of money, like an amount of money that I'm more than comfortable with, or going with a job where I knew I would get the skills that I really needed. I knew I'd have more of the lifestyle I wanted And I knew I'd be aligning myself with what I really believed in versus a job where I'd be making a good amount of money. I'd be getting skills, but they'd be skills that were almost like handed to me. I didn't get to go seek them out. There was just like, here, you have to learn this. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 More like your order. Right. Let's take an example of sales. Like you can either learn sales kind of organically through having to sell someone a product and no one tells you how to sell it. They just say, do this and do it in your style and figure out what makes the most sense. Or they say, here's this kind of script. This is how we do things. We want you to learn how to do it this way. And then we want you to go do it. Right. So I was looking at those two and I realized, especially through all we've worked on in Korea, I want to be in a place that allows me to learn kind of trial by fire and just by doing it rather than feeding it to me. And I'm willing to... You have more independence. It's more self-directed. Yeah, exactly. And and somewhere where, especially when it comes to the whole food thing, for me personally, as the example, it was between a company that was a massive supplier of food on all different levels. And there, I just had no idea what was happening with the supply chain there. And especially because I'm kind of honing in on that issue and I was just on the farms. And then I had this local bakery that is doing things very artisanally. And I was like, well, there's a discrepancy in the money. But when it comes Mm -hmm. to my values of the self-directed learning and the food and just where I think I'm going to gain skills from this and who I'm going to be around the like-minded people, it was kind of a no-brainer. So I wanted to talk about that. What is the opportunity cost? And have you ever had a situation like that where you've had to approach, like, what do I really care about? What are my values versus yeah, how so, much money to take? Right. I, I, I definitely have had the kind of idea. Ideally, they'll line up, right? But that doesn't always happen. <laughs> well, I don't... Yeah, I, I think there's always... It's it's hard to yeah it's hard for me to break this down within myself. So uh, no, I haven't had as kind of stark a decision as you did. When I left Los Angeles, I had something not hugely dissimilar. So when I was going to Korea at that time, I had decided that I wanted to get out of the U.S. and especially out of Los Angeles, right? And I couldn't get a visa for France, and I couldn't get a visa for Europe at all in any places that I tried at the time, and so. Even though I wanted to go back to where I had studied and I really loved Europe, I couldn't manage that and I just needed to get out of the States. I mean, the economy was still pretty terrible in Europe at that point. You know, Ireland and Spain just had their bailouts in 2011, 
or 2012. Um, and so, so I wanted to get out of the country and I found this whole thing in South Korea, which we ended up doing and it paid substantially less than what my job was paying in Los Angeles. But when I assessed it, I realized that because living expenses were so much cheaper and because they pay for housing and all of that, I could save about the same amount of money if I kind of scrimped in Korea that I was saving in Los Angeles. And so I would end up in the same position at the end of the year financially, is, is how I justified it to myself. And at the same time, in Korea, I would get a lot more time off. I would work a lot less because I had talked to a number of my friends who had worked in that program before that essentially you teach 20 hours a week, which means that of your 40-hour working week, you have 20 hours to prepare and do other things. And so I would spend, you know, maybe five hours of that preparing at most, and then in 15 hours working on side projects and other things, right? And besides that, you get a lot more winter vacation, you get a lot more summer vacation, and you have to do this thing called desk warming, where you just have to sit in the office when there's no school for weeks, which is actually kind of great if you want to just have private time. If you want to start time. a website with a friend. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> if you want to work on anything else, if you want to work on anything else by yourself, you have this huge empty building with internet the entire time to yourself that you can just work. So when I was looking at all of that, I was like, these are some things that I want to work on because I don't want to work in a consulting firm for the rest of my life. I had definitely come to that conclusion by that point. Mergers and acquisitions was not going to be my calling. And I looked at this opportunity to have all of this personal development and figure out all of these things on my own. And I think you just learn a lot from living in a foreign country and working in a foreign country. Just automatically you learn all of these things because you have to be dealing with all of these sorts of things. And you always learn more about yourself and things like that. And I wanted to get out of the country anyway. And so, yeah, I definitely, at that point, sacrificed some money, I guess, or some aspects of my lifestyle in order to invest in what I saw as my future, right? And I think that often that is the more clear distinction in, in a lot of career things, where you can either invest more in your future or you can take the better financial situation. Now, I, I think that it's framed like that a lot. I'm not sure that that's always the case, but I, I do think that people are too afraid of making the wrong decision with your career. Mm-hmm. Because it was funny, when I was traveling after I left China. I met a guy who was like this 40-year-old druggy American guy that was just like vagabonding around, poor, not managing his life well at all, just has made every bad decision he could have made. And I looked at him and I was like, he's in his 40s. He's fine. Like, he's not living a great life, but he's fine. And he made every possible bad decision. If you make some relatively decent decisions, like, you're not going to die. I think that's my point. Like, even if you make some bad career choices and you get into an organization that's not great, there's a lot you can learn from almost every situation, and you're not going to die because of it. You'll still have an apartment, you'll still live, and so don't worry about making the wrong decision so much and think more about what you want and the possible upside as opposed to thinking about the possible downsides, because the possible downsides really aren't that huge in most right. situations. Like, if you're talking about quitting a job for another job that you make 30% less money, it's not the end of the world, even if it isn't right. your favorite thing. Even though at the time when you're making that decision, it can seem like an enormous decision. I know it did for it me does. the same way, going from consulting in D.C. to teaching in Korea, just because I was thinking, I'm on this nice upward trajectory and yeah. things are going well. Am I going to sabotage all this work to have to find a job again to come in maybe at the same level or maybe even right. lower? Yeah. And then I thought, well, every step helps you either understand what you 
don't like about it or get completely new skills, which is why yeah. I decided Korea made a lot of sense. It's absolutely true. And I do think that the point of working in a foreign country teaching you things just automatically and living in a foreign country just teaching you things automatically, I think that is a really important thing too. Like you learn a lot of stuff. You're forced to. Yeah, exactly. So if you have the opportunity, all things being equal, move to a foreign country because you'll learn things and yeah. you'll be a better person afterwards. But it, it is difficult. And every person back home, as you're preparing to leave or as you're talking about leaving, and everything that anybody says is kind of concerned and worried and, oh, what'll happen? Oh, I would never do that. You know, like that, that's, that is the general refrain that you're going to face. And that's just, that's just how it is. You know what I mean? Like that's how it is with anything. If you're trying to start a company, if you're trying to do anything, the vast majority of people are conservative and concerned and worried that's the natural predisposition for the vast majority of people. And the people that fight that are the people that go out and do things that are interesting and highly productive. That's just something to keep in mind. I want to focus on the idea of values real quick. Okay. What I wanted to ask you was, when you think about value in terms of work... Mm -hmm. how are you thinking about it? Like, are you thinking about it in terms of the value you're producing or the value to you or like the value of the company or the industry, like the general societal value? Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about it in terms of many of those things you just said. When I'm thinking about the value of work, back to what we talked about before, what am I actually doing on a daily basis? What industry am I in? Am I in an industry that will at least help me move forward towards what I maybe want to go into, something I want to sure. learn about, something I thought about a lot this time. I was in a massive corporation, then I was supporting government, and now I would love to be in a small business and learn how everything of the business works. Mm. The value, yes, that I could provide, but also that it could provide me, kind of a okay. two-prong on that, because I knew yeah. that it would be both ways. I could obviously provide a lot of value once I get going and I'm learning such a new skill set that it is a lot of value to me. Okay, because the way I think about value is that value is the driver of everything in human society. Mm -hmm. And everyone pursues what they value and they mm -hmm. do the things that they value. And they might not be very rational in the way they think about it because a lot of people are very emotional. But emotions, feeling emotions about things, is an expression of values also. Mm -hmm. So essentially what I wanted to ask you with this is, would you take a job that provided you with much less value if you thought that it was providing more value to the world or to something that you cared about? Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think uh, when, I, when I'm talking about value, the biggest thing I'm thinking about is how is it going to help me position myself so that I can actually make an impact on the world. That is really what my value right. usually boils down to. Because if taking a position, I'm learning skills that I can eventually use to do the things that I think I'm going to be able to do to help in some way. Okay. Well, and see, that's, that's one of the interesting things to me. And I know it's not quite the same thing, but it, it always sounds to me like and because a lot of people talk about this sort of thing the power to and i just kind of gave it away there but the the idea that you can create change or create benefits for humanity or the world or something like that to me it always sounds a lot like a power thing like you want to have power in a certain respect the, the motivations are different from somebody that wants like political power or something like that but the the drive for 
power or recognition or the ability to change something is a really interesting kind of subset. And I know, I know I'm taking this way off into a different tangent, <laughs> but it's a really interesting subset of the way I think about value because most things in life most things in society are an exchange of value, right? So I hang out with my friend because he makes me happier and makes my life better and informs me about certain things and says funny things or whatever, right? And he hangs out with me because I do similar things. So we both are better off and are happier because we do this sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. But when you think about growth of power or what you were talking about positioning yourself so that you could change society for the better or something like that right well that one's really big but something smaller than that where you can actually have an impact well whatever level you talk about it on right like whether you're a mayor of a town or you're the president of the united states or mm -hmm. you run a company it, it's interesting because that's the only instance that i really see in society very consistently that people will give away value for that. And that does not objectively bring them any value. I'm not yeah. sure if you understand yeah. what I mean. Yeah, but that makes sense. Like recently, we've had a whole lot of really rich guys running for political office in the United States. We've had a number of people running for the Senate or the House where they're putting in tens of millions of dollars of their own money to get elected to this sort of thing, right? Because they want this power, they want this prestige and so they're literally sacrificing tens of millions of dollars to gain something that's not objectively or obviously valuable to me. And I find it a little bit baffling. And I, you see the same thing with people who want to create huge amounts of change, right? Like, yeah. Like when you look at Nelson Mandela or you look yeah. at Muhammad Ali to a certain extent, they want to create certain social change. They want to create a certain change in their society, and they're willing to sacrifice a huge amount to obtain it. Right, but I think, at least at least when it comes to the example of a politician versus the example of someone like Nelson Mandela, a major... Well, he was a politician, too, but... Well, yeah, but someone who is going for it distinctly for power. Right. Which I see as more of the U.S. senators and those politicians are more mm -hmm. in line with that, but... My point is, one, they see something that they really don't agree with, which could be the same in a lot of the Senate's case, but I find that it's often not. But they okay. see something that they they really want to change, that they can't really sit back and watch happen without taking part in it. They're too aware of it, and they feel obligated to do something to push it in the direction they believe it needs to go. So that is one thing. And then the other thing is, and this is also me speaking just from where I see this value, but the second thing is that you want to align the strengths of your personality with something that feels, and this maybe gets into what you were talking about with power, but you have that achievement. You have something that you feel very good about. And it yeah. needs to be something that you feel is helping society in some way for you to feel good about it so it kind of works on this method of you could say change i guess you could put that in air quotes and say change is the buzzword of the day but like it could well, be anything where you feel like you're benefiting future generations or moving society yeah. forward yeah and that's the, the feeling of creating value or generating value or um, yeah you're right having influence creating change things like that but see and that that's the thing that this is exactly the hang-up that i have about how i think about society and value creation because that exists in human societies universally but it does not mesh 
with anything else people do in human society. Like it is, it is this odd anomaly that that just doesn't doesn't seem to meld into everything else I understand. It, it's kind of in the I think of it as not dissimilar to physics, and I know this is not a, a easier analogy, but so I don't even know why I'm making it. But the idea that like general relativity works really well in its area and mm-hmm. quantum mechanics works really well for everything. But quantum mechanics doesn't really explain general re- like they they don't work seamlessly. There's right. a clear break. Right. And they both clearly exist in a certain way, but there seems to be something wrong that I can't and no one can really explain and identify because they both work in certain areas. So you can predict how people will react in power situations, or you can predict how people will react when they are trying to gain influence and things like that. And you can also predict how people will react when they're faced with, you know, price changes and normal supply and demand type things. And Uh when someone, like, I don't know, slashes their tires, you know what I mean? Like, if somebody hurts them in some significant way, they will respond negatively to that. But when you're pursuing power people respond in a completely different kind of way than they do in a normal interaction where there's not the potential to gain power. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's something that I find difficult to grapple with and fascinating. But anyway. I I understand. I totally understand where you're coming from. And I've thought about power a lot, but never from the angle of change and how it is an anomaly in the way we operate overall. So that's something that we can talk about that more later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a big philosophical one we can go on. Yeah, we will definitely get into that topic more at length at another time. Because it's something that I haven't wrapped my head around either particularly well, so I can't express my thoughts on it very well at this point but yeah so so anyway i I think the thrust of what we were talking about today is just that i have been very pleasantly not surprised but i have found it very nice in my life to be more intentional with how i'm thinking about things and think things through and it just gives you so much more ownership over everything and when you do settle on whatever your values are and whatever you value in your own life and whatever you value in society and you want to pursue and put your energies toward then that is really an ideal way to determine what you're going to pursue. Because just putting it down to money and having that be the single primary dictator of your job or your career... The motivation will dwindle. There's not enough to really keep that motivation afloat. Yeah, it's counterproductive to your long-term mental And that gets into defining uh, success, but you have to decide what success is and what you really... Yeah, because I'm definitely not going to define that. Yeah, anyway. So, do you have anything else? Do you have anything else you wanted to touch on today? I think that's it. All right. You want to call this one a day? Wrap sure. Up? It's 1 a.m. out here, yeah, so might yeah. as well, you know. All right. So, anyone can find the show notes for this episode and anything that we talked about today at subjectradio.com slash ntl slash 005. And you can again find Jess's website, which was, what was it again? Straight from the sources. Straight mouth. from the sources mouth.co. Dot co. Yes. Don't forget. No M. Um, <laughs> the M's taken. Yes. Very important. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah. And look us up on YouTube. Anything else? No? That's Good? it. Done? Okay. I'll talk to you next week, Jess. All right. Bye. All right. Peace. I think you wanted to talk about choosing between money and values and opportunity costs. What did you want to say on this? <laughs> did I come up well, with this last time? <laughs>